What is up, everybody? Welcome into New Pod here on NotFest.com. I am Joshua Toomey. That is Ro Coley, and we are here to talk some new metal with you. Ro, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I am tired as hell because I have nothing but 9,000 shows in two weeks. So, uh, But you know what? I say, fuck it, man. Let's bring it on. Let's do things. Let's make things happen. Yeah, we, we were talking new pod and you were actually telling me like, you know, new metal is alive and well. I guess you went to see Bloody Wood, which was one of my uh, top 10 albums of the year last year, man. Yeah, actually. Here I got actually. Actually, we bought the vinyl at the at the, Rock at, shock. the at the show, too. It's <laughs> freaking amazing. Uh, you know what's funny is that um, the opening band Wargasm has a shirt that says "New Metal is Alive and Well." <laughs> or, <laughs> nice. Something along those lines. Let me see. I took a picture of it because I thought it was so funny. But yeah, it was just like it was so. I, I was just kind of blown away. I was like, "Oh my god!" They actually have a shirt that says "New Metal is Alive and Well." That's so funny. So. <laughs> Too much fun, man. Yeah, I love those guys, and uh, you know, some good some good Indian boys doing well. Hey, you know what? I mean, being Indian myself and and whatnot in in this mu- in the music industry, especially um, especially when I was I was growing up, you know, early two thousands, mid nineties. It's like you know, the Indian people in metal and hard rock and and in the music industry in general was pretty few and far between. You know, we had like yeah. Kim Theo. We're like, oh my god, a brown guy. You know, um, <laughs> right? You know, uh, Afzal from Crisis, uh, one of my boys right there. You know, so it was kind of cool when when somebody like me, you know, some you know indian kid from new jersey sees another indian person in a band you know in a metal band no less you know you go oh my god like they they bucked tradition you know they 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 you know i (laughs) whenever i see an indian metalhead i'm like oh good you're a disappointment to your parents too excellent (laughs) you know like let's bond uh but now i think it's it's really cool because it's like now you know when it comes to people like 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 bands like bloody wood or or even what i'm doing or or like a a comedian like russell peters or namesh patel or you know any of these kinds of guys it's like now we're we're kind of showing uh uh, this newer generation that a you can look like this and 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 be successful you can you know be a, an extreme comic who talks about all sorts of explicit subjects and and be successful you can be in a metal band and be successful you know it's no longer this like how come you're not a well there'll always be how come you're not a doctor when it comes to indian parents <laughs> i will always I, I think that won't that won't go away for at least another five generations but uh but i think that's kind of it it's like when you see that kind of when when you know especially like i said like with, with asians especially uh whether it's indian or japanese or whoever you know the the pressure of parents and everything to be this uh ideal you know living the american dream being wealthy and all these kinds of things is is always so prevalent you know so to to sort of be on on this side of it where you get to go oh my god look at this that's this is incredible um on, on a similar note um <clears throat> iron maiden put out a uh, a dvd a long time ago called flight 666 where right. they did like 16 countries in like 25 days or it was something insane where they that's where they got their their jumbo jet and they yeah, put yeah. Their, you know all their stuff on it but they they played in i think it was either calcutta or, or bombay or something like that and like forty thousand people showed up and like even though forty thousand people in a country that's got almost two billion people is kind of a drop <laughs> in the bucket uh to see forty thousand indian metalheads going to a, a, a city iron maiden it was, you know, for me, it, culturally speaking, it was it's it was mind boggling, you know, because you sit there and you're like, the only way you could ever find out about metal bands in India and everything was if you had a brother or a cousin or an uncle who went to England or who came to school, you know, went to school in England, went to school in America, right. you know, and that was that was your only way to really know about it. So to see all these like Indian metalheads with their, you know, battle vests and shit, I was like, oh my god, this is crazy. So to see, you know, Bloodywood 
doing what they're doing, doing it well, you know, wowing fans across the country and across the world. Like, uh, you know, I never was much for Indian pride, to be perfectly honest with you. And when your name is the Brown Satan, that's kind of a, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Indian pride kind of goes out the window yeah. a little bit, you know. But uh, but with this situation and with people like Russell and people like Namesh Patel and all these kinds of people, it's it's it really is. It's super. I don't want to say gratifying. That's not really the right word, but it's like it's endearing and it and it's it's it is kind of like a proud moment where you're almost kind of like like yeah, like this is this is awesome. Like I'm watching these guys really tear it up, and and you know I'm watching more than that. I'm watching the audience really either being introduced to this part of the culture or mm -hmm. seeing more Indian people coming to these shows. And to me, that's, I never thought that would be such a refreshing change of pace, but it really is. It's super amazing. And they yeah, I, crushed it. When I interviewed Raul, if, uh, probably, well, I guess that was probably last year sometime at this point now, but, and then, uh, and then they came to the States first show they play is louder than life. And, right. and just, and like, I was there as they walked, took the stage and like, I almost like I teared up watching them come out because I was like, just happy for them. I could see it on their face. You know, they're like, you know, that's gotta be huge for a band like that to, to get to the States. And it is crazy. You're talking about, I think the last time I looked, it was like 1.2 billion people in India. There's oh, like they're, three. Well, they're actually going to overtake China as far as yeah. population goes very, very soon. So yeah, it's, you know, they're creeping up there to the one and a half to 2 billion mark, yeah. you know? And and the uh, you know the the states is only like what three hundred fifty million ish people so it's I mean it's a, it's a huge disparity there but uh, yeah he was talking about how he found music and how he you know got like bootleg Lincoln Park CDs and shit back in the day and and all this other stuff man so yeah it was definitely cool to see them come over and like like I said like you said almost like proud Papa moment for me too just to right. just to kind of be a part of that and see them and then I talked to them obviously afterwards in the media tent and you know they're all smiles and happy that they're in the states yeah I mean it's it's got to be awesome for those guys yeah when I when I first met well I met them briefly at aftershock and then they played right after aftershock last year they played down in Orange County uh, at the observatory and, uh, and my, my buddy is managing them Nice. And my actually old boss, to be honest with you, uh, is managing them. So, you know, I got to we, me, me and my wife were hanging out with them. And it's funny because, you know, I'm sure, you know, people come up to them like, oh, my God, you guys are great. You guys are great. But then I come up and I'm like, yeah. And I kind of start talking like my dad and everything. And they were just like, whoa, whoa. Like, <laughs> you know, like we were like channeling my dad, you know, like, yeah. you know, because like my dad just sounds like that kind of old grizzled Indian dad you know the kind that you're just like okay respect much respect you know and i'm just like you know i'm very opposite that but at the same time it's like you know when i imitate my parents and they're just like they can hear they can hear that like oh dog this dude's legit like he he yeah. definitely is indian you know like he's, <laughs> he's not some guy who just kind of grew up here or whatever like it's like no nah, man first generation all the way you That's know awesome, but uh, but again it's i you know and that that kind of feeds into kind of the non-point thing as well uh, a little yeah. later but just as far as uh just cultural you know, the, the cultural movement within mm -hmm. metal is, yeah. is, is a big thing for me. You know, when when I see a band like The Who or or Bloody Wood and, and it's like you start to see, you know, we've always had I mean, there's always been Latinos in metal, you know, when, when you have your Fear Factories, your brewery as Asino, Puya, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like but when you really see these you know, or, or Max, you know, like when you see these the, the cultural aspect of, you know, like metal is kind of this universal language in a weird way that we all speak. But then when you see you know, Brazilians and South Americans and South Africans and, you know, whatever it is, you know, like, you know, all these different cultures that really 
that that becomes the connective tissue. I, I think is just it's one of those things that I'm like, you know, in a world where everybody either wants to be divided or is creating division or something like that. It's like that's like the one thing that sort of, like I said, it's like it's becoming this connective tissue for all of us to yeah. you know to really go all right cool like no like i that's why um like when i made those pantera guitars the the mini guitars my thing was i didn't want to make the guitars for like di just dime bag i wanted it to have all the pantera covers on it because back then it didn't matter who you voted for it didn't matter what political party you were part of or you know mega whatever whatever it is you know right. it was just you're black you're white like i don't like cool like just if you fall, I'm going to pick you up. Like, that's how it is. You know, like it didn't in, in the Pantera pit, it, none of that mattered. And I feel like that's sort of what's hoping is going to kind of be this sort of cultural revolution when it comes to metal is that it's not going to matter, you know, that we're all going to be tied to the, you know, tied by metal. And, and, and that's going to be what, what really connects the whole, the whole world. Yeah. I think that's, that's even back to like, you're saying Max and Sepultura and, and, and just being a kid and growing up and, and, you would I would start to like start to try to read Portuguese and you're like <laughs> right. you're learning about different cultures and things like that and then you know knowing where Bella Horizonte is and all those stuff like just yeah. really diving into different cultures and and with with Bloodywood too it's it's you know when you think that metal has done everything and then they start bringing in those traditional Indian you know yep, uh, instruments and, and stuff and the yeah. flutes and everything else and you know you got homeboy on stage like all this metal going on and he's like you know busting out a riff on a, right. on a flute yeah, on <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like it's exactly. awesome man i love it yeah at first when i first heard it i was just like you know just being like i said being indian and, and not yeah. really like you're not like it not so much not liking the culture but just you know being a little a little uh jaded to the culture just because of you know my parents and everything and my upbringing you know so when i hear it when i heard some of that early on i was like oh come on really it's like you're like it's like this novelty that's so stupid but now it's like now i've totally changed my mind on it and now i like watch it and i'm like no, this is this is exactly like there needs to be a conduit that connects people to it. And, and yeah. you know, it, I feel like if they didn't have that, they might just sound like a regular run of the mill sort of new metally kind of band. But when you when you introduce those new kind of elements to it, just like the who with the, the throat yeah. singing and the, you know, the, the, the kind of weird cello things that they play and and all these kinds of things like when you really start to include all of these cultural aspects to it i think that's what's that that is what morphs metal into this new kind of situation you know yeah. we want to say new or nu it's it, it kind of just opens it up you know to to a whole new audience and i think that's that's really what it's all about i don't want to i don't want to stay stagnant that's for sure yeah i, I mean you know you guys get cool flutes and drums and stuff you know if, if my culture is probably like banjos and stuff so yeah <laughs> hey, you know what zach wilde did pride and glory dude. that's true that's you know? true and i loved pride and glory and i think that's probably the closest i will ever come to liking country or or even you know like you know, a lot of Southern rock, like Leonard Skinner, kind of went over my head, you know, just yeah. because that wasn't really my thing. But, like, you know, after listening to Pride and Glory, like, me and my buddy were like, we need, let's check out this Leonard Skinner thing and see really what we're, because <laughs> obviously they're influenced by it, but, like, let's yeah. see what's going on. But, yeah, it's like he he was bringing banjos into it and everything. Or you look at a, a band like Candiria bringing mm -hmm. jazz into yeah. this crazy hardcore, you know, it was just like the most insane, like uh, uh, experimental jazz thrown right into this thing. And it's like, you know, and, and it, that I know that really opened up a lot of people to like, wait, yeah. like, I never even, I never even considered jazz, you right. know, and then Candiria came and it was just like, holy crap, like it just worked. So 
I am. I'm awesome. stoked for those guys. I really, I really want to see them do well, and I, I hope in some way, shape, or form, I can, I can be a part of that as well. Just to, you know, if if it's if it's, you know, if I don't get to work with them directly, then to be able to to promote them on 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 a on a vehicle like this, to Absolutely. really just get people into it. Um, how was the crowd? Uh, the crowd was good. Uh, it was it was a pretty tight show. Um, it wasn't sold out, but it was it was definitely tight. It was, uh, and that's the thing, you know, like the two singers and and all that. It's like there's a lot of everybody jump kind of thing. And and I think when when that sort of thing happens, uh, you know, when the crowd feels even more a part of it, it 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 builds that crowd energy up so much that it, it was it was it was just really good. And again, just seeing more Indian people in the crowd. Like it's, it's to me, it's, it's such a weird change of pace, but at the same time I look around and I'm like, just like, like awesome. You know, like for me, like being a star Wars fan, you know, in the eighties and the early nineties, like being a star Wars fan was not something to be, you know, right. people looked at you like nerd. And now it's like, you know, I go to, I go to star Wars celebration or I go to a, a you know, San Diego comic-con and it's just, you know, it's entire generations of families now dressed up as Jawas and whatnot, you know, and it's like that kind of thing where it's really cool to see it now uh, like break open and, 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 you know, all these people really begin to accept it. You know, when my parents, like I said, who are immigrants start coming up to me and are like, what's going on with the new star Wars. I'm like, Holy crap. Like this, <laughs> really, this thing's penetrated the consciousness yeah. of everybody, you know, that kind of thing. But, awesome, uh, but the crowd was great though. The crowd was really awesome. Vended played, yes. uh, Corey Taylor's uh, son's band. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they were really good too. I mean, it's so weird to, to look at Griffin. Cause like, not that I knew him when he was a kid or anything like that, but to hear him on stage, it's like, you can hear just like, like you can hear Corey in him for sure, yeah. but you know, it's not him copying Corey or anything like that, but it's the same thing. Just there's mannerism. We were talking to him uh, after the show. There's just mannerisms, certain ways that he looks or just in the light, like he'll turn a certain way. And it's just like, you could see Corey in there. And it's just, oh yeah. but it really is. But I mean, but that band very much has their own thing going on and uh crowd was super into them. Wargasm, unfortunately, I missed, but uh, I just love the fact that their T-shirt, that's they had a T-shirt that said new metal is, is alive right. and well. And I was just like, wow, that's, that says it all right there. <laughs> yeah, Griff is a great, great dude. I talked to him for a long time at the same, at the same lot of the life, man. I, I yeah. ended up actually talking to him more than I talked to Corey that day. Uh, yeah. We just ended up shooting, you know, he's just just talking about music and, and talking about it, you know, his dad and, and just having like off the record conversations about, like how crazy it is that Corey Taylor's his dad, not like, Oh my God, Corey Taylor's your dad. But we were having like more of the, the other conversations about, you know, like how people would come up and be like, so I hear your dad's famous. And he goes, right. the story was, I hear your dad's famous. Well, my dad's famous too. He's a drug dealer, you know, shit like that. Right. And like you know, kids coming up to him in high school and stuff. But, right. Yeah. Seriously. But, I mean, that kind of, that kind of pressure must be, you know, I mean, just, just to be on that kind of level of, of, yeah you know, being in a, in a high school or whatever. I mean, I don't know if you went to a private school or not, but like, you know, if you're in public school and it's like, yeah. Oh, your dad's this, what you think you're better than everybody else. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. it's, it's hard to not have that kind of stigma attached to you, you know, but at the same time, I mean, if he's, it's obvious that these guys are putting in the work, you know, yeah. and that's the thing for me, man, if you're putting in the work, you're talking to the fans, you're humble, you you go to the merch booth and you talk to people and you're hanging out afterwards and you're not just like, I'm just going to sit in my dressing room or sit in the van or whatever. Like, yeah. you put in the work, I don't care who the hell your dad is, you know, like, <laughs> right. if you're putting in the work, then 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 you deserve that success as well. Yeah. You know? 
And, and I love how much they've grown. I mean, like, you know, when we saw him in Nodfest, Iowa, they were one band. And then I see him, you know, a year or so later and they, he was commanding the stage and, yeah, and it totally. was, you, know, you could tell like he's, he's, you know, born into this. This is what he was born yeah. to do. <laughs> Another thing too, it's like that stage presence is really, yeah. it's really important. And his dad absolutely has it. Like I said, he's not copying his dad, but like, you can tell that they're in a weird way. It's almost in the blood, but that's the cool thing. That's the, that's the, the, the essence of a great frontman is not to just be the guy on the stage is to make the people feel like they're on the stage as well with him, you know? And I think that's, yeah. that's the real true, you know, calling of a frontman is if you can Absolutely. make people feel like they're a part of it, even if they're all the way in the back of the arena or the venue, you know, that you can make people feel like they're right up on stage with you singing in the mic, you know, that that's a testament of a, of a really good frontman. So I'm oh. stoked for them. I hope they do really, really well. We are here because I did an interview with Rob Rivera, did track yeah. by track of statement, the uh, debut record for non-point. Uh, that will be a staple of the show moving forward. And once we get our schedules, you know, we are on different coasts and uh, trying to get everything worked out schedule wise. Uh, Ro will be doing these with me, but I did have a good friend, Rob Rivera on uh, to do a track by track of non uh, non-points statement. But I did want to talk one more thing before we dive into that mm -hmm. was uh, I went to see Ricky Rackman here uh, do a spoken word, kind of a, a storytelling history of himself, man. The, the dude talked for two and a half hours on stage and it was fucking great. I loved every moment of it, man. He's got to have some great story. I mean, God, yeah. he's got to have some great, insane stories. For sure. Yeah, it, it had a lot of video elements, which was cool. So he would tell a story and then maybe run a clip and then, you know, hey, this is the time that I interviewed, uh, you know, Soundgarden at a bowling alley. Here it is. You know, here's some Pantera stuff. Uh, we found clips. He found clips of like, uh, you know, never before seen stuff of Alice in Chains at the water park. Uh -oh. and, uh, <laughs> the, action Park in New Jersey. At action Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. And, it was very, it was funny because they 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 talked about the class action park part of it, you know how oh, there were guests park. there, yeah, and all that stuff, and and they they kept showing uh, uh, members of Alice in Chains like this uh, this park seems very unsafe, like we don't know about this park, man. It was crazy, like how how they were they were just like I don't know about this ride or that ride, and and, and it was good times. It was a park run by a bunch of teenagers, so yeah, know, it's, yeah. What a great, that that the documentary for that is insane, but uh, but yeah, that's that's rad though, because yeah, he he interviewed people. I mean, I remember I, I didn't have cable, so anytime I could get to watch Headbangers Ball was like my eyes were glued to the TV because I had to try to absorb it as much yeah. as I could in the moment that I had. But I, I'll never forget he was uh, I think he was doing a pool party with suicidal tendencies and infectious <laughs> grooves. Yeah, you know, and it was just I just remember seeing stuff like that and just being like, wow, man, like what a life. Can you imagine? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's such a mind boggling thing that we are now where we are. You know? Yeah, it's it was funny watching some of the stuff because, I mean, really, he wasn't doing much more than almost like early podcasting or something like that. I mean, it's just right. interviews with bands and, you know, but we they were just it was just such a big platform of MTV that we, you know, as kids, you know, I was, I was in high school, all those, all those uh, headbangers ball years, I would record headbangers ball on Saturday night and mm -hmm. I would just watch it every day, just over and over throughout the week. Yeah. And so even seeing him and like, you know, I've, I've, I've got a friendship with him now just through the podcast. He's been on a few times. I met him at a convention at a, at a podcast convention that we were both doing, um, you know, so I emailed him and said, Hey, I was coming out. And he was like, Hey, you know, you know, go, go see my merch person. We'll grab a backstage pass type deal and, and hung out with him for a few minutes. And it's just still surreal 
that Ricky Rackman like knows who I am. You right. know? Like, it's just, it's just crazy that, that, uh, that you can leave a show like that. And, and, and when he was going down the, the rabbit hole of, of the cat house and, and doing headbangers ball and they were showing all those clips and stuff. I was just like, it was such a, such a time warp moment for me just sitting right. there watching that. And I highly recommend going to see it. Like if it's coming near you, I mean, there was about a hundred people in this club, so it wasn't packed. And, you know, he came out afterwards and talked to everybody. And, and, uh, I, you know, we just kind of went to the side and talked for a little bit afterwards. And it was funny when I first joined Knotfest to do stuff, he had just done like the ball and it was for Gimme Metal slash Knotfest, like they were doing it together. Right. So I was, I was like, man, I'm about to be working with Ricky Rackman. And then when I talked to him, he was like, yeah, this is only a one-off thing, and like my thing started right after his. And I was like, well, <laughs> like damn it. So, I was like, damn it! I, I was almost like you know co-workers with Ricky Rackman. So close. <laughs> we were so close. So very close. <laughs> last thing before we dive into it, man. Uh, mm. We talked Sick New World last week. Uh, this week, the, uh, the the times and the stages and everything came out, man. And this this looks like a lot. So you're going. So you, yeah, you, yeah. Apparently, I am. Uh, it's it's going to be confirmed tonight. Um, okay. But yeah, you know the. That is a sick, ridiculous lineup and sick, ridiculous set times is what they should be called. <laughs> sick, ridiculous world is really what it should have been called because it's yeah. uh, it is it's absurd. It's absurd. And, you know, it's funny. We, uh, me and my wife were looking at the set times trying to figure out who we were going to see when. And uh, we were like, man, I feel bad for Sisters of Mercy and Cradle of Filth. Like they're going to be playing like during System of a Down. Like I feel like there's going to be like eight people watching them. You know, <laughs> it's like. Right. But yeah, it's. I, you know, it, this is one of those festivals. Like when I did Aftershock, like I know that's a Danny Wimmer presents show, like The Louder Than Life and a lot of those mm-hmm. other ones. And um, I liked the setup of those, even though there yeah. are a couple of conflicts for me, which was unfortunate. I mean, it's just the nature of the beast, really, you know. But with this one, I was like, I, it, my my mind boggles as to like, why not just make it a two day show? Like, why yeah. is it is it really is it that necessary to cram all of that into one day? Like, that's that is my big question, you know, because I know that let's put it this way, man. My Fitbit's going to be on and I'm going to get my <laughs> no doubt about it, you know, but it's like but it really is. It's just like, OK, we're 10 minutes for this band and 10 minutes for that band and five minutes for that band and eight minutes here. And then we go to see the Deftones and, we, you know, it's like it seems like I mean, I don't And this is my own personal opinion. I didn't go to when we were young. So, you know, maybe it does work and maybe. Maybe it will work. I, I don't yeah. know, but it just it just seems like a lot of uh, pressure. I think to put on the fans, you yeah. know, to to be like, okay, well, hey, you can either see Kitty or you can see the Deftones. Like, take a pick, you know. And it's like, well, why? You know, in a weird way, it's almost like, why should that be a, a choice? But also, I, I have a sort of a problem also when they have big headliners. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, Kiss or Pantera, whoever it might be, right? when the headliner's on, I don't feel like any of the other stages should be right. That's, that's just my own opinion. That's what I liked about Ozfest was like, you had your main stage bands going on, but then after, after Soulfly, like when I was on, on, on 2000 after Soulfly, like that was the end of the second stage. And now yeah. everything is main stage and that's it, you know? And, and I think that's, that's one of my sort of just gripes. Yeah, while it. while System of a Down is on, five bands will play. <laughs> that's exactly, it. you know, <laughs> yeah. that, that's that's kind of my point too. Is like, you know, and and I feel like that's that's the part that's a little unfair to the fans. That's yeah. again, it's like well, that was crazy with uh, with my editorial, with, you know, <laughs> with when we were young, Kitty played at the same time as My Chemical Romance. I was like, how do you play the the 
the big emo festival at the same time as my chemical romance. Right. Like, that's, that's insane. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like who, who, you know, and, and, it, and it does make me wonder like how many people yeah. were there to see Kitty. You know, I am, I am definitely curious. So it, it's the same thing with this one. I mean, as much as I like system, you know, it's like, I, I've also seen system many, many times. So right. in a weird way, I'm kind of like, okay, cool. You know, I'll see him play a few songs and then let's go and check out, I don't know, whoever's playing health or whatever it is, you know, like <laughs> let's, let's go see what, what this is all about. Because right. in a way, as much as I like system, I, I kind of want to, you know, I, I would, I would also hate for, you know, for a band to go on during system. Cause obviously they must know what they're sort of in for as far as crowd participation and, and, and attendance, you know? So it's almost like, I, I kind of would like to be like, you know what systems got their millions of fans. Like, let me, let's go show a little love for, for the, for the underdog. You know, and and that's something that I I believe heavily in. Whether it's Bloody Wood or it's a band like Health, even if even if I I don't care for Health's music or or, or you know, it's fiddle fiddle neck or whatever it's called. You know, even if I don't know their music, it's like I am still always rooting for the underdog. the The big bands were the underdog at one point. You know, so I feel like cool. Like they're there, they're doing their thing. Somebody's gotta somebody's gotta go and 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 kind of cheer those other guys on as well. So I hope people have a similar mentality in that regard. I do want to have a, I do have a correction from last week. I did kill off the singer of stabbing Westward, which I did find out that he is alive and well. Oh, uh, so, Sorry. so, you know, go check out stabbing Westward. Yes. Uh, and I, they're I currently a live singer. <laughs> a couple of guys uh, emailed and, and uh, posted that I, I uh, got that one wrong, but I was like, I was like, <laughs> well, I guess well, it's cool that he's alive. Cause those, he had a great voice. So, so yeah. make sure to go check out stabbing Westward. And yes, they're yes. very alive. Uh, yes. Vocalist. <laughs> he's very, very alive. <laughs> Uh, I'm just bummed because I ha- remember. I remember I said this too. I said I hope Monster Magnet doesn't cancel. I hope yeah. they don't cancel. And sure enough, no Monster. Magnet. Yeah, they are not on this list. <sighs> that was uh, you know, and I saw a lot of a lot. I mean, a fair amount of people that were posting like, "What? No Monster Magnet refund?" And I was like, I was like, that's. Uh, but there was that part of me. Uh, there was that part of me that felt it. I, I felt it. I felt it in my bones. I was like, I was like either they're they're gonna cancel or it's gonna be because i i know that those guys probably are like we don't belong on this stupid show you know like that kind of thing you know these are older dudes who've been doing this for a while you know like they want to play a biker bar not you know <laughs> not to a bunch of fucking yeah. system of down kids you know so i'm but, sure to be it would have been fun yeah it would have been well, I think that will do it for the intro here. We will uh, we will dive into my chat with Rob Rivera, all about statement, all about every track on the album, recording the album, getting signed, all the good stuff that comes along with Nonpoint and uh, Rob Rivera. So let's uh, let's throw to that, and then Ro and I will be back to finish it out, and we will talk to you guys soon. Guys, let's welcome Rob Rivera of Nonpoint to the show. Rob, man, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you, sir? I'm hanging in there, man. <laughs> As we talked you. before, but yeah, it's uh, it's good to see you, man. Good to talk to you. Always, uh, always good to get a get get to talk some music with Rob Rivera. Let's do it. All right, man. So we're gonna dive into Statement, and that was your debut major label debut record, man. Um, just kind of going back and your your thoughts on like just the overall thoughts on Statement and kind of 
you know, major label deal, getting to go into the studio and stuff. What do, what are your kind of memories of going into the studio and statement? Well, I mean, we were definitely rookies and green. You know, we didn't really know. I've been to a couple studios, you know, locally in South Florida when we released a couple CDs. So I kind of had experience, but not to the let's record to a click and let's record to let's play the song five times. We're going to pick and choose the best. I, I just back in the day, you know, we uh, I just went for it. You know, if I made a mistake, I had to start all over again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> excuse me but um it was fun man like i said when I, first time i recorded to a click I, I actually adapted to it pretty quickly i it was easy i mean i said okay i have to follow this okay it's not that hard you know so i i felt pretty good uh doing that um jason beeler who was also our manager for a while he produced the record um tom lord algae mixed it and Keith Rose was the engineer, if I remember correctly. I would have to go to the credits, but I think that's <laughs> I think that's right. Um, uh, when you know when bands had credits on 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 releases, now you don't read the credits anymore. Looks like you got recorded and produced by Jason Beeler, engineered by Jason Beeler, Keith Rose, Chad Milosevich, and Spidey. Yeah, Plastic. Chad. Yeah, <laughs> Chad. Spidey. I think he was a guitar tech. Yeah, I mean, he uh, was mixes. just tuning, make sure all the guitars were all good and stuff. Mixed by Tom, Tom Lord Algae, mastered by Bob Ludwig at Gateway Mastering. Wow, he's a uh, big dude. That was, that was, that, we had like some big time people, man, on there. You know, like, <laughs> our first A&R, Hans hailed it. Haydelt. Haydelt, okay. Haydelt, yeah. He's a great guy. Dude loves, I think he loves metal more than I do. It's, we, now, we had some crazy conversations about metal, man. Him. <laughs> I bet, man. Yeah, I, I know we've talked in the past about Jason Beeler, but I, and if I'm not mistaken, he was he was a big part of you guys getting signed. If I if I'm correct, yeah. Right? I mean, we we uh, he was after Saigon Kick had disbanded. He started a band called Super Transatlantic. Okay, uh, and had the bass player Pat Badger from Extreme was in that band. Oh wow! And uh, he had a couple other Florida dudes with him, uh, guys that were with him in Saigon Kick. They just transitioned over to to super transatlantic and then we played this thing called the 949 zeta fest which is was the big uh radio station there in miami so we played uh on the second stage of the the zeta fest actually def leopard was headlining that day (laughs) nice def leopard yeah and when whatever band was big in that era that that in the 2099 2000s was pretty much uh, i think veruca salt was on that show or something like that. But uh yeah, I played on the second stage. It was locals and Super Transatlantic headlined the second stage. So we played that show and Elias came up after me and said, Hey, uh, this guy named Jason, who used to be in Saigon Kick, he approached me. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Yeah. He said he wanted to talk to us. So come Monday, he called. He and it was him. It's like, oh, you this you're really <laughs> calling me. So I I didn't know, and you know, I was I was all, I got all excited, you know, because you know, as someone known who had connections and whatnot. Yeah. So he came to the practice the next day. Then we started talking. We won this battle of the bands, like Ernie Ball battle of the bands to play Warp Tour. Nice. So he brought Hans to that show. So I mean, it made it even sweeter that we actually won it. 
and got to <laughs> right. play Warp Tour when 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 the guy that could come to check us out, you know, is going to we we win the competition, which made it look even better in his eyes, I guess. So he uh, he approached us after the show. He said, "Hey, I want you guys to work with Jason." And then so we moved into his rehearsal spot, and we started writing. You know, we started writing music. Well, and and then taking some of the old songs and rearranging. So we just started working with this with this guy. We were doing like we worked with him for like four or five months. Then all that became real. Here comes the fucking contract, <laughs> you know, and like, oh my god, this is actually happening. And then that that's how it started. So Jason, yeah, he was a big reason for why we got a deal. Do you remember like was that were the numbers at the time? Because I mean, this was peak like new metal time too. So like contracts were probably a little bit bigger at the time. So you know, looking at the contracting, being like, this is our recording budget, and this is a this budget, and like, like was it was it just blowing yeah, your mind to was, see those I'm, numbers? I won't get it. I won't get into any numbers, but it was it was big. Yeah, you know, it was like like all those bands at that time. The, the labels were just throwing money around, right? Know? So it was pretty good. You know, I saw the numbers. It was, you know, it's the most money I'd seen written in my life. You know, <laughs> right. so it was cool. I mean, it covered all, you know, the videos and, and uh, you know, that wasn't even the touring budget. Actually, no, that was just a recording budget. I'm sorry. So I covered the, you know, we were able to live off some of the money, you know, and, and, and that included producer fee, studio, engineer, everything you have to pay for, you know, when it comes oh, to yeah, yeah. Now, now you can do a record for a thousand dollars. So yeah, you buy some gear and you're ready to go. All right, man. Well, let's dive into it, man. Mind trip up first. this is a killer leadoff track probably the first track obviously most people are heard by non-point at the time and just a great groove man what are your what are your uh, memories of mind trip mind trip when we got together for the first time with andy and ken who are the guitar player and bass player respectively on the record elias and myself and we had another guy named sammy playing guitar at the time we were two guitar players at that time but uh it didn't you know he eventually just he left the band and we, you know, we, we did our thing. Um, we wrote that song that night. The first time we ever got together, <laughs> that version you hear on Statement, we wrote it that night. And I was like, what the? I couldn't believe it because the song has so many different vibes. It goes to this speed, goes it slows down, it goes fast. Like, right. it was a, just a really cool uh, song. Like, it, there was really no structure to it. It just like, it was just a whatever, you know? And that was my memory. The memory is that we actually wrote it in one night. We wrote it in like in a couple hours. Everything came together super fast. I obviously know you pretty well to know that you kind of grew up with a thrash background. And the one thing I noticed on this album and, and just through your career, you're a very heavy meat and potatoes kind of, you know, kick drum, snare, kick drum, snare kind of drummer, like just hitting those grooves, man. Did you did you have to like pull back a little bit on any of this stuff or were you just playing for the song what were you doing there well i mean to me and even i still approach it this way i play for the song you yeah. know I, I i do 
whatever I want. And then uh, if the producer feels like maybe we should do a little less and we bring it down or I'll listen to it and I'm like, okay, maybe this is a little too much. But like you said, I'm a meat potatoes guy. I'm like the ACDC style <laughs> just groove, you know, like, but I do like to add my fills. I like to add some cool stuff. I'll add some Latin type beats, you know. Uh, so the groove to me is king. Yeah. You know, there's an old saying that says, uh, was it? Fills bring the thrills, but grooves pay the bills. Okay. You know, and I've kind of right. lived by that motto, you know, like I like I like to play for the song, man. I like the guitars and the vocals to be the shining star. I just want to make sure it doesn't fall off. You know, I'm I'm like the little bridge and just goes one way and then <laughs> you know they walk on it. I'm like the little the boat, you know, that just moves and they they I want the guitars and vocals to shine. You know, I don't really care for me to shine. I mean, I'll throw in my things every now and then, but on my trip, that song, like, man, that is, there's a lot of drum stuff going on there. It's like, and we actually, our, our recent tour, we were opening with that song. Oh, nice. And then, so here I am, 53 years old. <laughs> right. I play a song that I wrote when I was 27. And it's it's harder on the body. But, you know, after a few shows, like, wow, that muscle memory comes back, you know, it's like, everything come back and it was fun to play that's a that's a real fun song to play uh, yeah it's a great track uh victim was actually written before Ken and Andy were in the band. Uh, we had a different version of Nonpoint. It was kind of like Nonpoint Factor or not. Uh, it was tearing on to go just to Nonpoint. So uh, I wrote that song with my old bass player, the original version, with my old bass player, Hector, who actually been become the bass player in 40 Below Summer. Oh, nice. Um, so... We wrote it together. I actually, I wrote it on guitar. He played drums. And that's how we wrote it. We wrote it in like five minutes. But when we got with Jason, we rearranged it. So that version is on our uh, Separate Yourself CD. Uh, but Victim is a complete different version from that one. So that's really the roots of the song. That It was really written before Candy and uh, Candy. Andy and Ken. We used to say <laughs> all the time, Ken Andy, we say Candy. Uh, nice. So before Andy and Ken were in the band, uh, we, we wrote that song. But after they came in, then we rearranged it. Yeah, it's got a great chorus, man. The the Oh My God chorus. I love it. Yeah, that's the part where the, the crowd comes in and yells the fuck that, which just never gets old. <laughs> that shit never gets old. Do you guys still play that one? Is that one in the set a lot still? It, we, it, it comes out every now and then, yeah. We played it on the previous tour. We played it. I think we played it on the 7 Dust run. I'm not 100% sure. But we didn't play on the last one. One of my all-time favorite non-point tracks is Endure. I think I've, I've worn you out over this song over the years, man. But I, I this, this might be my favorite non-point song ever. Even with the diagram of my DNA, at least scientists baffled to the end of the 
attention, doing my best, not ever hearing good job, and staying upset. Doesn't take too much to find the sediments they left behind. very anthemic you know it's got an anthem style vibe and, and when we wrote we wrote that after we met hans and jason came into the picture that's one of the songs that we wrote after jason started working with us you know that wasn't one that we had before he came as you can tell there's like you know more structure there was more paying attention to melody and stuff like that but that's one of my favorite songs to play like we also did a video with that song which is basically filmed at the Ozfest 2001 you see Chester you see Dave Draymond you see a bunch of people in the video which nice. is super cool you know that was so nice of them to, to agree to be in the video after the red tape we had to go with the labels at that time you had to do all that we need permission type deal but yeah that song that song is is one of my favorites man I, I love Elias's vocals on it he, he really shines on that track probably one of my favorite vocal performances that he's done yeah man the verses on that just you know even what you're doing and, and like just the 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 riff itself and everything man i i can't get enough of endure thank you man i appreciate that all right man back up Back up, that was the first song we wrote once we started working with Jason. And, okay. and he he we wrote that at his rehearsal spot in Coral Springs, Florida. And no, no, I'm sorry. Where is it? Pompano Beach or something like that. It was somewhere. And, and his, this rehearsal spot was it just in a really bad neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, it was in a, I don't know how. I mean, he had thousands upon thousands of dollars of gear in there. Yeah. And it was behind a sandwich shop, which would you know, trip me out even the most. It was a sandwich shop connected to it. <laughs> and I, but it, 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 it had a real, that's where I, we started rehearsing with the click. And we wrote that song to a click. Okay. So it, well, it, it, it was really cool. That, 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 that song had just the whole message. And we actually played that recently. I think last year we played it. And the crowd was just loving it. They loved it. It's like, all those, all the, all the old school fans, like, oh shit, like backup, you know, like one of the, it was like one of the deep cuts, you know, on the record. But uh, yeah, that, and I love that the solo, the guitar solo is one of my favorite parts of the song. Like back at that time, you know, we were, they were in that whole new metal, right? Still, I guess considered to be that, even though we kind of, kind of broken away from it, but uh, uh, a little bit. But honestly, I don't care. If they put us <laughs> in that category. I don't care. At that time, there was really no bands doing guitar solos. So Andy threw one in there, as you know, I thought that kind of made us a different.
but I, I, that's one of the things that I loved about the song. I think that was my favorite. Actually, my favorite part of the song was the solo because it was we we were able to bring that element because Andy grew up listening to Hendrix, Kirk Hammett, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Like those mm -hmm. were his guys. He loved playing solos, and his solos were always very blues based. So, it's. It's funny to talk about the solos thing. This is way fast forward, but when I had BC on the show, it was just funny talking to him. He was like, he grew up learning Van Halen and all that stuff, and then new metal hits, and all you want's like, you know, uh, a simple, basic, you know, meat and potatoes tracks. And uh, so it was, it was great to get him to to later on bring some more solos into the band. But yeah, he yeah, was so mad that like when he did switched, like they didn't they didn't do guitar solos and stuff. Yeah, that was one of the big, biggest things about having him in the band, like. Yeah, he solo pretty much on every song. Yeah, and it was cool <laughs> right. because I mean he grew up with that, and I just think it added, you know, another element to the band. I thought solos, you know, we didn't do a lot. We he we started more solos when he joined. Yeah, but up until then we didn't really have we had solos, just not a lot. Of yeah, my notes on backup man is a slamming groove, and then it also is like a, kind of just the staple sound of the band, like not like that. That's kind of a staple non-point sound. If I'm gonna show that record to somebody. For the first time, that would probably be the track that I would show. And then here's a big one, man. What a day. Sitting on your ass all day, thinking about your hangover in the bar. Tell you left the fucking keys I didn't have to beg for. Ride from a stranger that I never met before. He acts so friendly that I had to take the ride. But for some reason, he resembled that guy I wanted for a robbery and beating on his kids. You remind me of my stepson, he juggled with a grin. What was that move that they tore himself the fence? You blocked the killer's knife move. <laughs> still still to this day it's in our set you know it's one of our bigger songs like like if you would have told me in 2000 that people were still going to be singing that song in 2023 i would have told you you're nuts like it's crazy like how much that song has just all of our every one of our fans knows it you know they know that song it was our first single basically and uh it got, I think it got to number 12 or 13 on the charts, which is wow. really good. You know, that was our biggest, I believe it was one of our biggest charting singles. I, I'm not really 100% sure. But uh, that song at first used to start with a drum beat. It didn't start with the guitar, like how people know it. But when we went to mix, Tom Lord Algie heard it. He says, you know, I think we should do this. So he took the drums out and just let the guitar uh -huh. and vocals let the guitars and vocals do his thing so that was that his idea to do that and i thought it was at the time i said wow okay that's really cool because then it slams in you know like so yeah that that song has it's been <laughs> i remember we the only ever time we never played that song it's the first time we went out with hell yeah and and machine head okay and then after the third show rob flynn comes up to me and says why are you not playing what a day <laughs> they said that's one of your biggest tracks i was well, just it's more of a metal crowd you know we want to kind of play a heavier stuff but then on the next show we start playing and then people start going nuts so 
three times we didn't play, and then Flynn got on my case. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob knows best. Well, but I did tell him that if I played one a day, he had to play 10-ton hammer. Nice. So and then they yeah. started so he started playing 10 ton hammer. We started playing what a day. Yeah, that 10 ton hammer riff that that's that, that's like that, my whew. top three machine head songs ever. Uh the, the lyrics are very specific. Is this an actual true story or like something Elias actually had happened to him? I don't think it happened to him. I think it happened to a friend of his. Okay. I don't think I'm not really sure what this what the history is. But I do believe I heard him say one time it happened to his buddy, this guy. He had a, a friend named Fred. And I, <laughs> I, th- I think that's him. I'm not 100% sure. But I know I think he, t- he said that that happened to a friend of his. It didn't happen to him. Yeah, because I was, I was reading the lyrics again today, and I was like, man, this is very specific. Like, this is a very specific day. Yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't him. Uh, I believe it. I've, we've talked about this, but the uh, uh, Seth, the security guy from Metallica, is in the What a Day video, correct? He is, yeah, looking badass, you know. And and, and I just recently, well, when did I see him? He, te- me, and him text all the time. I saw how I saw him when I uh, Metallica played at the Metro in Chicago. Oh, nice. And that's when I, we we started talking, reconnected. But yeah, man, I, that was great. He was so cool to hang out with back then. It was so awesome. Yeah, man, you hooked me up with that uh, the Metallica show here, and you hooked me up with him, and he was the nicest guy I think I've ever met in my life. Like he yeah. he, he walked up, get, he like hugged me, like gave me a couple of guitar picks, like gave me a wristband, and said, "Go have fun, man." Like like we were old friends. It was great. He has been one of the nicest guys and that I, I've ever met. And then who knew back then he'd be working security for Metallica? <laughs> you know, it's like. But yeah, I I, uh, I think I might see him this year at one of the shows. Hopefully, so. Yeah, I think I'm going to go to Saint the St. Louis shows. I, I think, think that's, I'm going to that one too. I think. All right, man. Well, I mean, I, I may see. We'll have to we'll have to get together, man. All right, let's dive into uh, misled. You know what? I was when you told me you wanted to do a breakdown. I don't remember when that song got written. <laughs> right. All I all I know that when I recorded it, instead of a click, I had a shaker. Okay. Uh, it went and you down 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 down. That's when you hear that riff, and that was how. That's what I was playing. That really, I had so much fun recording that song because of the shaker, because I was <laughs> following that shaker the whole time. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't remember when we actually wrote that song, and we haven't played it in a long time. The long time, actually, the last time we played this when we did that statement live stream. Oh, nice! That yeah. was a lot of fun having to learn all that stuff again. <laughs> when you dive back into stuff like that, was it was it old hat, or did you really have to sit down and really learn? No, it? you know what? I just there was a a feeling what a day that I don't do anymore that it was in there and i said you know let me relearn it as it is on the record so i had to go back and listen because we've changed a little bit of the song since then you know they've taken on like a new life yeah sometimes i'll do a different beat you know i'll improvise some things and the guys will do 
some improvisation. They improv as well. But um, yeah, man, I'm trying. I remember <laughs> when we wrote it. I just, I just can't. I just that's one song I do not remember for the life of me. It just came out of the ether, man. Yeah, I mean that the the vibe. I mean, to me, that about the, what I, what I can say about the song is it's got a very Latino yeah. style riff. You know, very Puya ish. You know, because we were big fans of Puya uh, at that time. You know, we still are. You know, they were one of the bands that when we started, you know, looking into writing Spanish style song, songs. Um, they were the main game for so that so uh let's d- jump into double stacked. local band and i'm not sure it's uh it deals with uh, no drug use um that song as i want to reiterate you know like we were always labeled this new metal band but we had then we have a seven minute song right you know like a, no bands at that time had seven minute songs let then it, it was a song that had like break beats like dj break beats and then there's a blues section in the middle. It's like, you know it. And there's there's hip hop style singing and there's screaming, like and everything that nonpoint pretty much was, you know, or it still is, you know, we we uh it's in that song, you know, and that was a favorite in the local scene in Florida. This one I wrote down, I know I know you guys one of the stories is you you open for snot and then you really get into you know playing a different way live. This one almost kind of has a snot feel to it. I don't know if if snot actually influenced this track or not. No, I don't think I don't think we had heard snot around that time. Okay. Well, I'm not even sure. Yo, maybe we did. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we did. I, I, no, snot was not a direct influence on this song. We wrote this together at our at right now our rehearsal studios in Fort Lauderdale. It was one of those songs that when we finished it, it's like, what the hell did we just do? And just, it made, I was happy it made the record because it had, it showed a different side of the band, you know, yeah. and that also has blue style solo in that song where, where uh, Andy really like channels this Stevie Ray Vaughan thing. So, which is really good. Orgullo, Orgullo. Orgullo. Yeah. Which means pride in English.
Yeah, that song was written before Ken and Andy were even in the band. Like, I wrote that song with Hector, who used to be in 40 Bell Summer. Me and him wrote that. I wrote all the lyrics. I wrote the beginning, the beginning guitar stuff. And he wrote uh, when the guitar comes in down. He wrote from then on. And uh, that song, we, we changed it for that recording. The bridge is not the same as it is on the original recording. But yeah, the reason that song came about, there was a girl in Puerto Rico called Melba Miranda. Miranda okay. And she was a big supporter of rock and Spanish. I mean, massive supporter. And she came up to me, you know, Rob, you're from Puerto Rico. I really think you should write a song. You know, for your for your country, for your island, blah, blah blah. Like she gets, she put a lot of pressure on me. So, <laughs> right. like like I and I, you know, I just didn't know about us doing that. You know, like I, I it says, how are we gonna do that? Because you know, Elias, I mean, he knows Spanish, but to sing Spanish, I think it's a little bit more difficult. Right. It's like you know, so I mean, he 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 does it. He kills it. So I I was kind of a little apprehensive at the time. Not because of Elias. It's just like, what am I going to write about? Because I had to write the lyrics. You know, it's like, so I wrote, she was like, okay, well, she wants a song about, you know, to, I should be thankful, you know, play for the people in my country. So I, the song was about me being proud of being Puerto Rican, you know, being of my heritage. So I said, okay, I'm going to, she kind of gave me subject matter. So I said, okay, so let's do it. So that's really how the song came about because I got pressure from someone to write a song. <laughs> yeah. Did she hear the song and did she uh, approve? You know what? I still to this day have no idea if she has heard the song. <laughs> I was living in the States at that time. So nice. Yeah. Uh, does that, does that track hit the, hit the, uh, the live show and, and, you know, do you guys play it in Spanish-speaking areas? Is that yeah, we play it in Texas. We'll play it basically anywhere. You know, it doesn't <laughs> matter. Yeah, we play it. We'll play in Texas, California, Arizona. You know, where it has a, a pre predominantly you know large Latino you know uh, right. amount of a lot of people in the in the Latino uh, era or whatever you want to call it, Latino people. Right. You know, so like that the, is it's good because you know I love when we go and they they ask for it. Oh, play Rabia, play Buscándome, play El Diablo, play or like, and it's awesome because you see them sing and it's so cool. And when we played it in Puerto Rico, everybody was singing it. It was like it was really cool to see that. But we do play. I mean, we play it in obviously, and we pretty pretty much play that song everywhere around the country. Just we don't play it as much now because we have so much material. So. Yeah, how, how do you guys go about set lists? Just on a tangent, you know, do you guys? Are you guys tour specific? Or are you guys fluid as the tour goes on? How how does everything work? Well, it, well, sometimes during the during the tour, we'll change it up. It really depends, but it's hard, man. You got we got ten records and and a bunch of singles after that. So you know you kind of have to. Obviously, your what a day and bullet has right. to be played. So there's two already. You got to knock off the list. And we'll put in Breaking Skin, who was a pretty big track for us, too. And uh, what else? Um, the Truth. We play The Truth. We play The Truth on the last uh, last tour. And we played Buscandome on the last tour. We'll throw that in there every now and then. But it, it's really, we're not tour specific. Every single tour, we've actually changed it. Or we just drop one off the set, make the set a little shorter. Or we add one, make it a little longer. You know, it just depends. 
but we've never been really tour specific, right? I don't think I've ever done a tour a tour where we've done the that one set list the entire tour. All right, let's dive into uh, years. Another song that we wrote before Jason came into the picture, uh, it was rearranged when we worked with him. I am still very partial to the original. Okay. You know, like, yeah, if it's on the Separate Yourself, if you stream Separate Yourself on any of the streaming platforms, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's on Separate, it's on there, that version. I, I'm, I, I don't know, it's just there was a better vibe. I think it lost a lot of the... It lost a lot of the heart when we re- re- recorded it on statement. I don't know. I'm just very. That's really the only one that I'm partial of. The older versions is that one, but it, it's cool. I, I we wrote a new bridge, and it was, that bridge is really fun to play live because we can throw it down big time on that on that part. But uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a fun song. All right, uh, Hive. was like my oh god we just played that recently too um <laughs> i was the guys really our guys really love love playing that song like i don't do a click on that one i go straight live to that one that, that's there's a there's a vibe on that that you can't you, it needs to be done without a click it, it just has a bigger energy but that i get to show off my little thrash beats you right. know I get, to, I get to show off my thrash beats um so yeah, dude, that that song was written actually with Hector again. With Hector, me and Hector wrote that song. Actually, Hector, no, me and Hector wrote him wrote that song, and then uh, Elias redid the lyrics. It was they had old lyrics and old melodies, but yeah, it, it was that's a cool song. That's one of those bangers, live bangers we can play every now and then. Yeah, it's definitely got like some punk elements to it, and like with the go and the and obviously your thrashy beats, punky beats, man. It's good stuff. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. Uh, another side tangent, man. What uh, what do you what do you remember touring this record? You know, what were some of your first tours out, out the gate? Uh the first tour we did, I believe, was with Earth Crisis and Glassjaw. Nice. That was fun playing to that crowd. <laughs> playing to that that crowd was difficult yeah. for us, but it was fun. It was only one show actually that was difficult. But that, I mean, the the guys in Earth Crisis and, and Glass, those super nice guys. It, it was awesome. 
that was a cool way to start. It was six shows. So it was like a mini tour, but it was fun, man. And uh, we did Mudbane and Ultra Spank. Uh, that was fun. They were co-headlining. Um, we did Machine Head and Nothing Face and Endo. Wow. Um, we did, head, we did head PE. Uh, we did Spine Shank and Mudbane. And then we did K oh, we did Kitty. Wow. We went out with Kitty. That, that was uh that was fun too. Uh, they they were sweet. They were they were fun fun to tour with. Um, then we did the Ozfest on that. Obviously, uh, we did Fuel and Seven Dust. We did Stereo Mud. God, I'm trying to. I'm almost. I'm about to tell you almost every tour. <laughs> I'll tell you every tour. And we did Spine Shank and us. That that was cool. Uh, those guys were those guys were really cool. Um, then we did Head PE. After Head PE and Systematic, I think it was. Yeah, and then we did our headline, our first ever headline tour, which was Ankla Us Seamless, and uh, what was Johnny's band's name? The other one after Spine Chain, Johnny Santos' band. Yeah, it was another S band. Um, it was a metalcore band, I think. Silent Civilian. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Silent <laughs> Civilian. Yeah, so yeah, that was uh, it. Was a tour. That was a fun tour, <coughs> but uh. Yeah, man, that was one of the best touring cycles I think I've ever done. Yeah, and like it's it's crazy. All the bands that you named are like almost all of them are are regarded in such high regard now. And you kind of uh, you know coming back around again, and like Kitty's playing again. And I mean, I wish obviously Nothing Face can't, but a, man, what a what a great band those guys were. I think Spine Shank. I think Spine Shank should come back. You know, it's funny we talk about doing these you know these album deep dives. I was actually talking with Mike Sarkeesian about doing a a Spine Shank deep dive. Man, I and going back and just throwing that record on just to just to hear it again. Uh, yeah, man, such good stuff, man. The uh, is that uh, the second record you're talking? The about? The second record is what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah I first heard them on their first record. Yeah, the very first record, and they toured down in South Florida, but I can't remember who they toured with. Uh, but they they were fun, man. And that first record was cool, but the second album sounds really good. The production was they 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 like completely leveled up music wise. Height of callousness is what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, that's a great record. It's funny, you know, how I heard of them was they had put an ad in, I think, I think Metal Maniacs, and it's like, hey, if you want a free cassette demo, call this number and leave your address. And it was Mike's like pager number. <laughs> they called and left a voicemail. And that was before they got signed to Roadrunner, which is crazy. That's awesome. All right, uh, levels. another one that i have no idea how it got written <laughs> right that one and misled i like when you told me we we're gonna do a track by track i had no story about those songs levels has not been played very much live 
Yeah. That's one of the songs. That's probably the song that has least. It's not been played more than five or six times. Wow. Uh, we we did it. The last time we did it was for the um, the statement live stream. And that one, I had to I actually had to go back to that one to learn it. <laughs> Write some notes down. I thought that yeah. was a good. Uh, that's a good Elias singing song. Yeah, he he really killed it on that track. Uh, that was fun. And uh, well, it was in the uh, in the album with tribute. Come on, come on. Genesis of tribute, obviously. Uh, that was Elias's baby. Like it was his idea. Uh, he basically came to practice with the idea. He said, "I want these three parts, and let's throw in some of our stuff." So it starts off with uh, uh, Slick Rich uh, children's story. Yeah. And Buster Rhymes Wuha, then Method Man's version of Amy T H O D Man, whatever you right. know that was originally on the Wu Tang album. Right. I kind of wish we had done the Wu-Tang version because I love the Wu-Tang version over the Method Man version. But there, okay. it was really but it was really cool. That song just became like our own. Like that one was a huge favorite in South Florida, especially the Wu-Ha, that part. People <laughs> love that Wu-Ha part. And then at that time, we had a percussionist named Mike Becker, who was okay. actually the guy who originally rapped on it. Like when we recorded it um, – Locally, before we recorded it on the for the record, Mike Becker was the other rap. But yeah, it was fun, man. I, I love playing that song, and still, we uh, we did it with redid it with Rashid Saint doing the raps, and it, uh, we've done it live once with him. We did it at Blue Ridge. Oh, nice! And that was it. Was so much fun to play. That is a lot of fun to play that song. On this version, it's uh, Grim from Darwin's w- uh, Waiting Room. How did how did that come about? Uh we both got signed to MCA. At yeah. the, pretty much around the same time. And then Hans recommended him to be on the track. So we went, yeah, we said, okay, cool. Yeah. And then they, I wasn't there the day they did it. Uh, I was actually, I went back to my job at the job that I had. Uh, I didn't <laughs> stop working until we went on tour. I stayed working for six more months after we got signed. Oh, wow. But, wow. Man, I wanted, you know, I wanted to have a good, I, I wanted to be in a good financial situation. You know, I didn't want to leave and be broke. I want to make sure like my apartment was still paid and all this other stuff. So, and just to save, you know, but I wasn't there when they recorded it, but it came out cool. I mean, a lot, we played that, we did a tour with them, the separate yourself tour. I'm sorry. Actually, I told you the tour before Ankla and that, that was for, to the pain. I'm sorry. That was the wrong tour. The headlining, <laughs> oh, tour, the headlining tour was switch Darwin's and Reveille. Okay, that was the tour that we did that for our first headline tour wasn't Ankla, so I have you can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, 
Strike that uh, from the record. Yeah, but um, yeah, and 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 Graham would come out every night and do it. That's how we ended the show with that song, and it was a live favorite for sure. People loved it. Cool, man. Well, to wrap it up, man, what, what's your kind of your your just overall memory of statement? Well, I mean, it got us through the door. I mean, it sold over three hundred and fifty thousand copies. You know, it, it it just it it was the birth pretty much of everything. You know, it it opened every single door that we're still able to go in through today. You know, it, it really established us. You know, people were buying records at that time. And it was fun to, to know that I've sold 325,000 copies of one record. It's, to me, it's cool. You know, like maybe one day it'll go gold, you know, who knows? But uh, I just thankful that I would, we were able to put that out, be introduced to the world. Basically. So it was awesome. Looking back on it and even listening to it the last couple of days as we, as we got ready to do this, it's just funny how big of a fan of nonpoint you know, I am, or I was back then, like all these tracks, like every time I was listening to them, I was like, Oh yeah. Like that. They were bringing back memories too. It's funny. Cause you know, you've, you've done so much stuff with me podcast wise over the years. It's kind of, it's like, Oh yeah, Rob from nonpoint. That's cool. But then like, I actually go back to like this record, obviously before knowing you and I'm like, Oh man, I was such a huge fan of the band back in the day. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, still, I mean, a lot of people have that record in high regard, you know, still like, a lot of people's favorite that went into the pain have the mm -hmm. most like votes as far as who likes one record over the other, you know, but are the most whatever. But yeah, that, I mean, I was looking through the CD uh, jacket not, not too long ago. It's like, man, you know, like how young we were, you know, and I started reading, <laughs> I started reading the thank you. It's like, ah, oh, I forgot about this person. Oh my God. I wonder how this person's doing, you know? So it, it, it brings back a lot of memories and I listened to a couple of the tracks and, I remember what was going through my head at that time. I remember where I was, you know, like I remember the, it, like certain tour memories come up and, and, you know, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. That, that cycle was everything about that cycle was amazing. I, I cannot, one of the best times of my life and the best summer of my life ever on the Ozfest. That was absolutely the best time I ever had on tour. And hopefully you will have as much fun this summer as you guys go out with uh, with Mudvayne and Coal Chamber, Guar, you guys, Butcher Babies. Man, what a stacked bill that's going to be. Yeah, you know, and it just comes full circle, you know. Like Mudvayne was our first ever tour, you know, and Chad worked on us with uh, oh, Mir yeah. Miracle. You know, he took us out with Hell Yeah. You know, we I've been to his house, you know, in, in Vegas. <laughs> right. He's just a... a, a, a a really good friend of the band. <clears throat> we finally got him to play Miracle with us in Vegas. He sang it for the first time ever. And it took 11 years to get him to do it. But it, we, he did it. You know, I don't know if he's going to do it this summer. But we're not, I'm not going to ask him if he wants to come out with us. And we'll, we'll add the song in the set. But uh, I've never toured with Gwar. That should be interesting. I mean, I've heard so many. I've never seen them live. I know what they do. I know they, they, they do a lot of cool stuff. Uh, we've only done a few shows with uh, Cold Chamber. You know, I talk to Dez every now and then. You know, we, we, we talk, we text back and forth. I've been actually, I've never met Mikey the drummer, but now for the last two months, like, we've been talking a lot. Like, uh, so I'm stoked to not only watch him play because he's a beast live, man. I do think yeah. that guy can throw down. I've never met. Uh, is it Naja? Is that her name, Naja? Yeah. I don't know if that's how you, I hope I'm, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but 
I've never met her. We follow each other on social media, and I comment. And she comments on my stuff. So we haven't like officially met, but and Meeks, I've known for a while. I just saw him not too long ago playing with Gemini Syndrome. We did a show in Biloxi, uh, and he was, I I for, I'd forgotten he was still a guitar player in that band. And then yeah. obviously, you guys are big friends with Butcher Babies, so yeah, we've toured with them. We've uh, we we love we love the girls. So we know we know everybody in the band. Uh, we love Henry, a guitar player, super cool guy. And, and with Mudbane, obviously, like I said, we had a relationship with those guys for since 2000, you know, when I still remember the encounter. Like, uh, I walked out of the venue, Chad was there, so oh, are you in Nonpoint? I remember that forever, you know, that's in, in my head. Like, that was my first meeting with him, and we had those long uh, beard dreads or whatever, those things. That, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and from then on, man, we just have had an amazing relationship with those guys. Yeah, and I love that uh, you know the the style of music, the new metal style, has kind of come back full circle. And you know, we're Mudvayne and Cold Chamber, you know, playing sheds now with you guys. Yeah, I mean, it looks like it is coming back. A lot of bands are, a lot of bands reuniting. There's a lot of stuff happening. Uh, there's a lot of bands getting together, man. Like, you know, hopefully, you know, it'll. And new brands like Tetrarch has been uh, oh, so good. Thrown, thrown into that new metal thing, and they're like they're like the new school new metal, you know. So, right. um, you know, if it makes a comeback, makes a comeback. You know, Ryan's Ryan's back Drowning Pool. Mm-hmm. So there's you know they they were kind of putting that whole new metal thing as well, you know. And even Seven Dust is putting that, which I never understood that. But you know, yeah, that's the one thing about new metal is is the term new metal is, is all encompassing, you know, thrash metal kind of has a sound, but new metal could be static X or it could be alien ant farm, or it could be seven dust. You know what I'm saying is there were so many different variations of it. Deaf, deaf tones, corn, you know, or slipknot, you know, shit that's lovely like that. So it's, it's crazy how it's, it's a widespread, uh, terminology. Bands from that area, like Un Loco and all yeah. got thrown into this. And I'm like, <laughs> kind of like, what is actually new metal? Then I tried, figure out what what it is i thought it was a rapper and a band who had a dj you know yeah, that, right? that's what i thought metal was and, I, and that's nothing we didn't have a dj in our band either so like you should get one a lot of djs have tried to, to join though <laughs> too fun man well rob man as always it's uh it's good to catch up with you and uh thanks for taking some time here and uh going down the statement rabbit hole with me and taking some time here on the show yeah, no problem, man. I appreciate it, dude. I, you know, I, I love that you've been. You're the one I've done the most podcast, but I appreciate you, man. I, I, a lot, man. Hope, hope all is well on your. your- Huge thank you to Rob Rivera for coming on the podcast. Make sure to go and uh, check them out this summer on tour with Cold Chamber, Mudvayne, Guar, and Butcher Babies. God, Make what sure a that- tour. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. That is a and, uh, beef- that's a beefy tour. That's like that's like a Mexican baby-sized burrito of metal <laughs> right there. Like, nice. That is like, yeah, that, that's one that you got to put in the microwave the next day and eat for the next, you know, two or three meals.
that's a solid tour, man. I just want to say thank you guys for everyone that reached out from episode one emails, uh, you know, yes. Facebook comments, Instagram comments. It was, it was great to see row posting it, you know, people popping up over there and, and, and uh, you know, every, everyone had a lot of positive things to say about the show. So that yeah. was, uh, that was a lot of fun. So make sure to hit up those YouTube comments, hit, hit up the Instagram, the Facebook, all that good stuff. Yes. Please, please like us, please share us. Uh, and if you got comments and everything like that, if you have opinions, if you have whatever, I mean, you know, uh, we may not listen to all of them, but we'll definitely read them. That's for sure. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. We'll absolutely read them, and we will likely make fun of you afterwards, but definitely not to your face. Not to your face. <laughs> we will definitely do that behind your backs. We are good like that. We are very good we, like we that. We have tact. We have tact. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Just once again, thank you guys for checking out the show. Make sure to share, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tell a buddy, bring a friend. And for the new pod here, notfest.com, I've been Joshua Toomey. That is Ro Coley, and we will talk to you guys next week. Thank you, guys. We'll see you guys soon.